So this morning we continue in this gospel according to Matthew, and we have the privilege of going deep into this pretty incredible story and account of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness by the devil. And, and on this account, there's a lot in here, and we'll cover as much as we can together this morning. But right away, even as we begin, so that we're all on the same page in a way, I just want to start with two quick things on this account and passage. Two quick things. Number one, as we read this, let's just all try to make sure that we realize that this isn't some fairy tale or made-up story. Instead, literally, just as Jesus' birth and his baptism happened in space-time history, and and just as Jesus' teachings to come and his death and resurrection happened, so did this temptation occur. And I know we as Christians may say we believe that, but I do think that this account is so astonishing and unique that we can sort of fall into thinking it's just kind of some tale. But it isn't. Our Savior really went through this. And I especially think that's important for us to get because think about it. We certainly almost only know about this account because it must have been Jesus himself who told it to his disciples since no one else was there except for Jesus and the devil. And and, and now more could be said on that. But again, that just means first, let's just be clear. This really happened. And now what exactly this might have, must have looked like, it's understandably hard for us to grasp. But the truth is, in our universe, in our reality, we're not only real, but God is real. And so are angels whom he created. And so are fallen angels whom the Bible calls demons. And so is the devil who is one of those demons. And apparently, he, in history, really didn't want Jesus to accomplish this gospel. And so he tempted Jesus. And so that's the first thing as we begin. This, this really happened. Which then number two as we begin to get on the same page leads us to just make clear that this account, yes, it will apply to us and our temptations. And from time to time we will talk about that this morning. But I do just want to say that I do think that way above this applying to us and our temptations, this here happening in history with Jesus is unique And and it's not at all mainly about us. But this story is primarily and especially about Jesus. About Jesus. And And what I mean by that is that as you hear this story this morning, therefore, don't mainly hear this just to find ways that you can overcome your temptations. Yes, there is a place for that. But if that's mainly what we hear from this story, I do think we, give, we do this account and Jesus a big disservice. Because instead of that, why is this story here? Well, because Jesus is unique. He has been said so far in the book of Matthew to be the son of David, son of Abraham, Emmanuel, God with us. He's the savior, the suffering servant, the king. And now here in this story, he's going out and being tempted by the devil. Which means for us that as we read this, our main question then isn't, okay, well, how can I learn from Jesus to overcome my temptations? Instead, the main question really is, okay, so is Jesus truly who he says he is? And if he is, and if he does overcome temptation, then the application of this passage is less about you and I defeating our temptations. Rather, it is much more about, wow, I have a Savior who did overcome, who was perfect, 
for me. He's my champion. He's my king. I trust him. But anyway, so that's just two things for us to consider as we begin. But all that said, so that then brings us to our outline from here on out for how we'll go through this passage. And so again, there's a lot in here, but to cover it all, we'll simply have three sections asking three questions. Three questions summed up by the words, why, what, and how. Meaning in our first section, we'll look at why this temptation even took place. And then second, we'll dig into the temptations themselves and see what the devil tempted Jesus with. Which then third and finally will lead us to look more specifically at how our Savior Jesus overcame these temptations. And so that's where we're going. Why, what, and how. All with the goal thinking less about us and instead allowing our hearts to be stirred to appreciate and be more thankful for our overcomer and Savior Jesus. But all it said, let's dive in together then, church, and begin our first section. And here, again, we're asking why did this temptation even take place? And this is usually less talked about, but it's actually quite important to understand the passage. And for this, we'll just be in verses 1 and 2 here. So look down in your Bibles, Matthew 4, verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. We'll stop there. And so to begin, as you can see, the obvious answer as to why this temptation even happened is because, well, God wanted it to happen. And we see that in the clear language about how the Spirit, this is the same Spirit of God from last week's passage, how he led Jesus up to encounter this. And so why did this temptation even happen? Well, above all, it's because God wanted this to take place. But still the question is, but why did God have this happen? Well, why does the Spirit of God lead Jesus into this? And to answer that, now notice three different things that show up in this, these introductory verses. Three things, and for these, they're all going to center around words and phrases that Matthew intentionally writes, and you'll see what I mean. Because first, let's just think together about that word tempted in verse 1. Tempted. Because, of course, we know that this is the temptation of Jesus. And so, here in this account, Jesus is going to be tempted to sin. Right? We know that. But we, what we may not know as much is that this word for tempted is also the same word in the Bible and in Greek for the word tested. Tested. And now that may even sound weirder to you because, because Jesus is God, right? And so, why is he being tested? Well, think about it this way. What's implied in that word test... In Greek back then, and also in our word in English today, is the idea of having something happen to prove who you really are. Right? A test is something you go through to demonstrate your abilities or your character. And knowing that, it actually therefore makes sense that Jesus is being tempted or tested at the beginning of his ministry. Because in brief then, we can say, what we can say is that this tempting, this testing is something that really did happen in history. And these were genuine temptations. But in it all, why would God want this tempting by the devil to happen? Well, so that Jesus through this, through this testing, could demonstrate more who he truly is. And so that's what we're going to see. And so that's why this happened just from that word tempt. But not only that though, because also on this word tempt, and you might have already been thinking this, now think of this idea of tempted by the devil with the Old Testament in mind. With the devil being the one who's doing the tempting. Because when else 
Did the devil famously show up on the scene and tempt someone to disobey God? Well, in the very first few pages of the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil and yet they failed. And because of that sin, sorrow and death entered our world all because they really didn't trust God. And so all that's included in just that word tempt or test. Jesus is being tested here to demonstrate, especially to us, who he actually is. And not only that, but again, considering the famous story where Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil and disobeyed, just like you and I disobey all the time, what's also implied here is we need to see if this second Adam, if the true son of God, won't disobey. And so that's why God had this happen, just in that word tempt. But there's even more in verses 1 and 2. Why? Because now, as for the second phrase Matthew uses here, now look into that phrase, into the wilderness. In verse 1. Or into the desert, maybe in your translation, is desert and wilderness, the same word in Greek. And so, into the wilderness. And now, why is that significant? Well, because again, if you know your Old Testaments, who was led by God? into the wilderness and tempted in the wilderness and yet disobeyed God over and over in that wilderness? Well, the people of Israel, right? And the people of Israel. And all the people of Israel, remember, we already know from Matthew 2 that Jesus is the true Israel, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the people of God. And now, therefore, if you want to be in God's people, you need to be in Jesus. And so we already know that, but the point here is this happened in history to prove that. It happened to further show that Jesus is the true Israel. And like Israel, he was led into the wilderness. And yet, unlike them, he will be obedient. He will perfectly trust God, his Father, while Israel didn't and while we don't on our own. Which finally and briefly leads to the third and last phrase on why this is happening. And that's seen in verse 2 in how Jesus fasts, right, for 40 days and 40 nights. And now that's because Israel, remember, was in the wilderness for 40 years. And so there's that connection with 40. And that's true. But more so, this is here because do you know who else famously, when they were in the wilderness, was said to have fasted 40 days and 40 nights? Well, twice in the book of Deuteronomy, that language is used exactly of Moses. Moses is said to have done that. Moses, who was the leader of God's people and the one who delivered God's word to God's people. And so here, Jesus is in the wilderness fasting 40 days and 40 nights to show he's the true and better Moses as well. And and all that's just subtly there in verses 1 and 2. It's quite amazing. And and that's why this isn't just some random story. And it's why we have to say that this really did happen. Because summing everything we just saw up then, this happened overall because God wanted to happen. Not Satan ultimately, but God. And why? Well, to test Jesus and show us who Jesus truly is. And who is he? Well, this Jesus is going to be the the second Adam. He's the true Israel and he's the better Moses. Which means for you and I that again, those introductory verses show us right away that as we read the story, we're supposed to see it really is about Jesus. (laughs) Because again, yes, there's some, there's some place to follow Jesus' examples here in our temptations, but I hope you're seeing that way more than that. What we're about to read is of unique, cosmic, historical significance. And that's the point that Matthew's making in verses 1 and 2. Because Adam, in history, brought sin into the world. But now here's the second Adam. Will he obey and provide a new creation, a way out of the sin that Adam brought in? 
And, and not only that, but God's people, Israel, who he chose to be his people, but they kept disobeying God in the wilderness. But now here's the true Israelite. Will he be different? And finally, Moses was a great, but he was an insufficient leader. We saw that. So now here, though, is the better Moses. Will he be the leader we need? That's what we should be thinking as we read this. And jumping ahead, as we know, the good news, the gospel, is that the answer to those questions is, yes, he will. <laughs> right? The good news isn't that we will always be successful in our temptations. We should try to be for God's glory, but we won't. Instead, the good news is that this Jesus has come. And so that's our first section and why this temptation even happened. Which now leads us to the what question. Where we'll ask, and what did the devil tempt Jesus with? And now for this, we'll be in verses 4 through 10. But for now, we're just going to look at what the devil says. And so there's three temptations here. And so we'll just take them one at a time. And so first, just continuing on, now look at verse 3. This is the first thing the devil tempts Jesus with. Verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So to begin on that, you'll notice that here and coming up in the second temptation, the devil starts with, If you are the Son of God. And to be clear as to what the devil is doing here, it's not that he's unsure or trying to make Jesus doubt that he's the Son of God. And we know that because, for example, elsewhere we see in Jesus' ministry that the demons know exactly who Jesus is. And that makes sense. Because think about it. Remember, God is real. Angels and demons are real. And demons are simply fallen angels who once were genuinely in God's presence. And amazingly, therefore, it's interesting to realize that they know exactly who Jesus is. <laughs> they, of course, know that God is real. And they know that this Jesus, he is and he always has been God. And so when the de demons meet Jesus and when the devil tempts Jesus here, they don't doubt who Jesus is. But they do hate him. They do want him to fail and so the devil here is basically saying, look, we know you are the son of God. And if you're the son of God, then why don't you do this? And so that's the if part. But then what's the first temptation? Well, it's to make stones to become loaves of bread. That's it. And, and, and now what's so interesting about that is, okay, so this is the son of God. And this is a climactic point in a, the cosmic historical fight against darkness. And so we could hear that and assume that the first temptation would be something way more grand. But instead, what is it? Well, Jesus is a real human being. He's, he's one of us in that respect. And, it's, and he's hungry. <laughs> it has been five and a half weeks since he's eaten. And therefore... The devil's first temptation is so basic, but also so powerful. It's, hey, Jesus, why don't you use your power just to make bread for yourself? Which means, to even further break that down, that really the devil's first temptation is for Jesus to selfishly re relieve his suffering. He, he's trying to use Jesus' human suffering to make Jesus not trust in God his Father. And for us, let's, let's be really clear. The devil tempts us in a similar way all the time. He uses suffering. And so that's the first attack. Which leads to the second. Now for this, skim past what Jesus says in verse 4 for now. We'll come back and just look at verses 5 and 6. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, 
If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And we'll stop there. So I know for most of us probably in the room, we've heard this story. But, but let's just take a second and realize that what the devil does right there is so fascinating into showing us how evil works, how he works, how temptation works. Because first, the devil takes Jesus to the holy city, Jerusalem, and to the pinnacle of the temple. Which remember, the temple was where God chose to dwell. And so the devil can even use religious things. He's not scared at all about using the temple. And then even bigger than that, the devil doesn't only use the temple, but amazingly, he even quotes God's very word, the Bible, to Jesus. It's amazing. I mean, think about it. The devil here is quoting God's word to the Savior, God with us, and he's doing his best to twist that word to make Jesus sin. And what specifically, what does the devil quote? Well, both of those verses he quotes are from Psalm 91. And they have to do with how God does really protect his people and his king and especially his Messiah king. Which means that incredibly, the devil here is quoting scripture and he's even interpreting scripture somewhat rightly all to try to promote a wrong heart feeling toward God in Jesus. Because the temptation here for Jesus is to essentially presume upon himself take things into his own hands in a sinful way and not trust God, to essentially manipulate God. And the point is the devil here is using the temple and even scripture to try to make him do that. Which quickly then does apply to us and that we need to realize that the devil is very happy in using religion or in using church attendance or in using caring a lot about being a good person in morality, or even using God's very words in the Bible. He's okay and happy using any of those things if he can do it in such a way that makes us basically trust in ourselves and not love and genuinely and humbly trust in Jesus. And so that's the what of the second temptation. That then leads to the third and last temptation. And now for this, skim past Jesus' response again and look at verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So now on that one, where exactly this temptation took place, that very high mountain... Or if the devil used maybe some supernatural vision to allow this to happen, we don't fully know. But the point is still very clear. The devil apparently thinks that he has in his hands all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he probably does in a sense. Because let's realize it's not for nothing that elsewhere in the Bible, the devil is called, quote, the God of this world. That is bold language. And so there's a reality to that. And so the devil assumes he has the kings of the world in their glory. And so what does he tempt Jesus with? Well, he says he will give Jesus all the kingdoms and their glory if Jesus were to only bow down to him and worship him. And now, man, we are really in the depths here because what would that even look like? 
Right? How, would, how would Jesus, the Son of God, worship the devil? And, and we, don't, we don't know. And, we don't, and I don't think the, even, the devil even fully knows. And we don't have to know because, thank God, it doesn't happen. But what is really revealing here, amazingly, is that still, think about it. Apparently, from the devil's perspective, although he says he does have all the kingdoms of the world in their earthly glory, yet what does he want above all of that? Worship. Worship. Which, if we had more time, we could dig further into this, but it does show us that the devil knows that worship, meaning being truly loved and admired and appreciated, not just being feared, he knows that that is better than having all the kingdoms in the world and their earthly glory. Because you see it amazingly, he is willing to give up all of that if only Jesus would just worship him. He so badly wants that recognition, that, that love even, that honor and admiration. Which quickly then does apply to us because like here with Jesus, let's realize that often the devil is willing to happily give us stuff and things and whatever earthly glory we want if only he were to get our hearts. And so that's the what of these temptations. And we, and we look at those first before we see how Jesus responds. Because as you can see, those are all different tactics. From relive, relieving suffering to, to using the, the temple and scripture. To, to offering stuff in return for his heart. The devil here is crafty. And that's why elsewhere the Bible says that the devil has schemes. And as a brief side note, I, I can't recommend enough. I'm sure you might have read it. C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, where he tries to show how perhaps temptations like this may work in our lives. Because Lewis is brilliant. He shows how demons are real and how their schemes against us perhaps may work. So you can look into that on your own. But for here in Matthew 4, what we do know is that this is definitely how it worked with Jesus. The devil, by whatever means possible, was trying to really lead our Savior to sin, to abandon his ministry, to distrust God, to follow sinful, rebellious ways, and to plunge all of us hopelessly into darkness literally forever. But that climactically then now leads us to our third and last section. So we've seen why this is happening and what's at stake. We've seen what the devil is tempting Jesus with. But now let's see in glory and how our Savior responds. (laughs) And for this, an answer to that, before we even read any of the verses again, if you just skim at those responses, you'll see that the number one and obvious thing here concerning how Jesus responds is that Jesus each time responds with Scripture. (laughs) He responds with Scripture. And, And I know, we've probably heard that before, but just think about how astonishing that is. Because Jesus himself is God. And so he could have easily just used his own powerful words to ward off the devil. And yet he knows the truth and the reality of the words written in this book. He knows and he's showing us here that this is really God's words. Meaning this is God speaking. And he knows that this book is true and that not only God's people rely on it, but even he relies on it. And so he uses scripture. He quotes what's written down in a book. And to be clear, we do see this book focus, literally a book, a Bible focus in Jesus' response to his temptations here. 
Because as we'll see, each time Jesus literally responds with something he includes, it is written. It is written, which is amazing because he doesn't say, well, God once said to me. Nor does he say, well, God once has said, although that wouldn't be true. Instead, each time, think about it, the devil is pummeling him with temptation. And our Savior Jesus right away appeals to something that's written. (laughs) And, and, And that's because according to Jesus... What's literally written down here is where we find God's very words. (laughs) And so that's the overarching answer to how Jesus responds. He quotes scripture. But I think we can even go deeper into seeing how Jesus responds. So now let's look at each of these responses at a time. And so we'll start the first temptation again. And for this, Jesus' response is in verse 4, but we'll also reread verse 3 as a reminder of what the devil said. So look down at your Bibles, Matthew 4, verses 3 and 4. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So again, the devil is tempting Jesus to alleviate his physical suffering in a selfish way here. And Jesus, therefore, he could have responded with a verse about God sustaining us in suffering or about God providing. But instead, what does Jesus do? Well, incredibly, he quotes Deuteronomy 8.3, which is about the word of God being more better and sustainable than bread. You see that? And that's so revealing because therefore, think about it. The devil is trying to get Jesus to relieve his physical suffering with bread. And that makes our Savior Jesus think, well, actually, there's something better, more sustaining and life-giving than bread. God's very words. (laughs) Which means that as the devil is trying to make Jesus focus on his physical suffering, Jesus essentially directs his gaze up to God. So the devil says, Jesus, you're suffering. And Jesus says, yes, but God is real and God speaks. God's words, devil, are better than bread. That's his response. It's fascinating. And it shows us that we need to not only know and study, but we need to love what God has said in his written word. Which leads to the second temptation in Jesus' response. And now for this, we'll see his response in verse 7. But again, we'll read the context in verses 5 and 6. Look down your Bibles, verses 5 through 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord, your God, to the test. So again, the devil here is quoting scripture to try to get Jesus to manipulate God. And yet, what's Jesus' response? Well, again, he, he directs his gaze to God and he talks about how he knows he shouldn't test God. And why? Well, essentially, it's because he's trusting God, his Father. He, he knows that God, his Father, doesn't need to be tested Because he's in control and sovereign over all things in his life. And so think about it. Like in the first temptation, here Jesus essentially sees right through the devil's allure by not only addressing the temptation himself, but even more so, he addresses the temptation by pointing out to the devil and himself who God really is. 
Because the first temptation, Jesus' response basically is, but God speaks. <laughs> and now his second response, the second temptation is, but I don't need to test God. And implied there is because he's in control and he's got me. Jesus is that God-focused. <laughs> Which finally leads to the third and last temptation and response. And now for this, look again at verses 8 through 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So first on this response, notice, Jesus responds with that, Be gone, Satan. And so he finally provides his own words, and guess what? Well, as we see in verse 11, Satan does leave. <laughs> Which makes sense. Jesus is God himself, and so his words have power as well. But that's not all Jesus says. Instead, again, he quotes scripture. And this time, remember, the temptation is to worship the devil. To accept the devil's gifts and give him heartfelt worship. And so what's Jesus' response to that? Well, he's clear. Only God deserves such worship. And here's where it gets so interesting. Because remember, worship here, what this word means, isn't just duty or giving gifts or anything like that. And we know that because remember, it is the devil here who's the one offering Jesus the kingdoms and all their earthly glory. And so we know worship isn't giving stuff and earthly glory like that. Instead, what then is it? Well, worship here again must be a heart thing. It must be ascribing thanks and admiration and beauty and worth to something. And therefore, the point that Jesus is making by saying only God should be worshipped and served, his point isn't mainly only God deserves my duty and my stuff and my things. That's true in a sense, but more deeply, Jesus' point here has to be only God deserves my heart that you're asking for, devil. Only God deserves to be loved and worshipped and admired and served with my life. Which means, if you're tracking, it means that Jesus finally here is looking at the devil's offer of all the kingdoms of the world in their earthly glory. And, and that's a big offer. And, and Jesus is seeing all that and he's not just saying, no, that's wrong. Rather, much more so, he's saying, no way. God is better than all that. Only God gets my heart and my worship and my service. And, and I love this because think about it. I think that this is the last and final temptation here. Because the devil knows that if Jesus feels that, if Jesus really feels and knows that God, his father, is better than anything in the world that the devil could offer, then the devil knows that he has no shot at succeeding in his temptations. <laughs> and so all that said, that is how Jesus answers these temptations. And, and if we had to sum all that up then and, and apply it to us, we, we'd have to say that what Jesus does here is he not only quotes scripture, and he not only quotes scriptures that apply to these specific temptations, and, and yes, he does both of those things, and, and that is incredible, but if we had to go even deeper into how Jesus responds here, what we see specifically is that each verse that Jesus chooses is one which particularly 
elevates and honors and exalts God. Did you notice that? They're all God-centered verses. Because think about it. Jesus knows that the devil, what's the devil doing? He's downplaying God, slighting God, trying to make God look small or not really worthy or not that awesome or admirable or God worthy of manipulating. And so what's Jesus' response to that every single time? No. God and his word are better. God's sovereign and in control of my life. God is better than all the kingdoms and their glory in the world and God alone is worthy of my worship. And I do think that above all, that's how this all applies to us and our temptations. Because again, this passage is mainly about Jesus and how he was victorious. But also he does give us quite an example here. And the example is simply said that concerning us, do you know what the devil will try to do to you and me above all? Well, like he did with Jesus, he'll try to use our pain and suffering. Or he might try to use religion and the Bible. Or he'll even use stuff in the world. He'll use any of that. But for what purpose? Well, he'll do whatever it takes to lead you and I away from the living God from our creator and our loving savior. That's the point. He he wants to lead us away in whatever way we can. He can. From, From knowing and genuinely loving and trusting and making God and Jesus the priority of our hearts and our lives. And so if you, so if you think about it, if that's the devil's goal, then, then what's to be our response to that? Well, first, yes, let's use God's very words in Scripture. And so we need to be studying the Bible, reading our Bibles, memorizing our Bibles, because let's be clear, we won't be able to withstand the genuine demonic schemes that we are up against with just our own words. And so, yes, we first need to respond with what is written in Scripture, because that's what God says. But even more specifically than that, what Jesus shows us is that in our response, we need to exalt God. In our minds, we need to emphasize God. We need to be directed more toward who God is, how how he really is so good, how his words are better, how he is in control, how he is better than anything in the world, and how he alone deserves my heart and my worship. Because in basic, that's what Jesus did. The devil was battering him and trying to get him to stop loving and trusting God. And therefore, Jesus used scripture to cite out loud to himself and to the devil realities about God. God because when we truly think about God and treasure God and honor God and prioritize God and not just in word but but genuinely in our hearts well it's then that the devil can't get a foothold in our lives and so that is most of our passage church and that's the temptation of Jesus that's why it happened that's what the devil tempted Jesus with and that's how Jesus overcame it's an amazing story, which now, as we start to come to a close, leads us finally on this account to that verse 11. And so one last time this morning, now look down at your Bibles. This is how the account ends, verse 11. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And so that's an interesting last verse on this account. And quickly, it shows us two last things here, two last things. First, obviously, it shows us that in a way, right, Jesus succeeded. Because the devil did leave him. And that's important because it shows us that as we talked about, the devil does know in a sense that he's been defeated here. But as we will see later in this book of Matthew, he does come back. 
And why? Well, because remember, the devil hates Jesus. He hates this gospel. And one last time for all of us, let's remember, he still hates Jesus. He still hates this gospel. And he hates people believing genuinely in their hearts this gospel even today. And so again, to be clear, brothers and sisters, the devil still will use whatever it takes to genuinely draw you and I away from Jesus. Again, he will use non-religion or religion. He'll use you taking the title of atheist or you taking the title of Christian. He'll use immorality or legalistic pride. He'll use our smartphones or our Bibles. He'll use us having a lot of money or struggling and not having a lot of money. He'll use the news and entertainment and politics or he'll use boredom. He'll use your desire to have the perfect family or he'll use strict individualism. He'll use comfort or he'll use suffering or whatever. The devil still exists today and he and his demons will use and do whatever it takes to get people like you and I from genuinely loving God, from truly trusting in Jesus and therefore to die in our sins. All because he hates Jesus. He hates us. He hates the gospel. And so that is the first thing here in Matthew 4.11. The devil is leaving Jesus, but we will see him again in Matthew. And we still see him today in our world and in our lives. Which leads, though, second, to look quickly how that account ends. With that final phrase there in verse 11. And behold, an emphatic word, the angels came and were ministering to him, to Jesus. (laughs) And I love that because, again, this points us to the fact that this story isn't made up. Instead, this really happened. And we know that because who would decide to end this story of Jesus' amazing victory like this? And, and yet, that's how the account ends. Which shows us that Jesus, yes, he conquered. Yes, he is our Savior, our King, and our God. But also, let's remember, Jesus was and he still is a real human being. And being a real human being, he just fasted 40 days and 40 nights and withstood three onslaughts from the devil. And so after all that, we're told that good angels did come and help him. And for us, if Jesus needed help like this, I mean, how much more do we? And so again, that is our passage and that's our Jesus church. And so finally, one last time, brothers and sisters, let's let's leave here this morning just marveling at who Jesus is and what he did for us here. Because yes, remember, some of these things do apply to us and our temptations. And so let's take those things and like Jesus, let's fight against our temptations. But above all, we're supposed to read this and be amazed that Jesus is the second Adam. He is the true Israel. He is the better Moses who withstood Satan's temptations. He loved perfectly God's word and God's glory. And he exalted God, his father here for us. And not only that, but finally remember, Jesus went through all of this so that from here on out, yes, he not only would start his ministry and teach and do miracles and gain disciples, but more than that, church, let's realize he persevered here through the assaults of the devil so that he could eventually go to the cross and be mocked and suffer and die and accomplish the gospel for us. It's incredible. And what an amazing savior and champion we have, church. Amen? Let's pray.